should you plant a church in the inner city? I'm Tim Zolker, and this is the new podcast from New England Urban Church Planting. We're on the phone with Matthew Spandler Davidson, co-founder and executive director of 20 Schemes in Scotland, pastor of Redeemer Fellowship Church in Bardstown, Kentucky. And Matthew was the operations director for Church in Hard Places, an initiative of Acts 29. Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Tim. Great to be with you again. Before we get to the main topic, would you tell us what 20 Schemes is, how it started, and what's going on almost eight years in now? Yeah, so uh, 20 Schemes is a church planting ministry in Scotland. So schemes, are, uh, when you think of schemes, think of areas of poverty. It's difficult to quantify in the state to be the equivalent of kind of projects, social housing, um, Culturally, more like a trailer park in many ways uh, would be the schemes of Scotland. So I grew up in in Scotland, just outside of Aberdeen, Scotland. Uh, always had a heart for uh, church planting. Left Scotland, moved to the States, go to Bible college. Um, planted the church that I'm currently at, but as we were thinking about uh, what does church planting look like back in Scotland, we were looking to develop a partnership with the church there. And that's when I met Mez McConnell. Mez is the uh, pastor of Nidri Community Church. Um, he and I got connected about, uh, about 2010. Um, we met, and Mez is in so many ways the opposite of me in every way, personality-wise, many ways backgrounds. Um, uh, but the thing that we were um, so similar on is, is the theology and understanding of the church. Uh, so Mez grew up in um, deep poverty, prison background, addictions, uh, came to faith, um, and then became a missionary initially in Brazil, then went to Scotland to revitalize the church there. Uh, um, uh, uh, so when, when I went to meet Mez, I was thinking initially about my church and his church, how we can partner together, how I can support him. Um, and so went to Nidri. I was struck by three things. Uh, one, Nidri Community Church, which is the church in, in the scheme in Edinburgh, uh, was seeing conversion growth. That's unusual in Scotland. Hmm. So I was struck by that to see a church that was seeing conversions um, and, and just a real um, meaningful conversions, meaningful discipleship happening. Two, it's happening in the schemes of Scotland. So communities have been ravaged by drugs, alcohol. Um, communities have been um, honest that um, when I was at college in Scotland, I would have never gone there. Um, uh, would have pretty much even, even as a young Christian, I became Christian 18. Um, we just, you just, it had nothing to do with the schemes on the outside of the cities. And so, um, so I was struck by the, by the fact that we're seeing conversion growth, seeing it in a very unlikely place in the schemes of Scotland. And then three, the fact that the church that, that is in Nigeria is a healthy church led by godly, faithful elders, meaningful membership, uh, practicing church discipline, uh, seeing expositional preaching. And so those things just struck me. Um, and so immediately, so this is a church that I'd love for us to be able to partner with to support. Um, and so when I met Mez, um, I asked him, what do we need to make this happen? He said, we need people and money. And so we developed a, a strategy, which really is what became 20 Schemes, a, a vision for seeing 20 gospel-centered churches established across the schemes in Scotland. We do that through raising up um, people to come and move into the schemes of Scotland and raising up support, churches that are partnered with us, others that are partnered with us to underwrite and support that work. And so um, the work that I did here in, in the U.S. is through really the sending arm of 20 Schemes 
missions, the support raising, recruitment arm, and then he's leading the ministry uh, side of 20 schemes on the ground, ministry training in the schemes of Scotland. Is it working? What's been going on? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, Incredible in many ways uh, to look back and see what God has done. I mean, it's clear to us that God is in this. We couldn't, I step back today and you know, it's like watching, it's like being the, that, that distant uncle and you go back and you watch your kid grows, you know, a, a nephew grow up and, um, and you only see him once a year. And so when I go back to Scotland, I'm, I'm there about four times a year. But when I go back and I see what's happening, I just get a sense of uh, growth and momentum. Um, obviously, I don't see a lot of what, what uh, they would see on the ground there in terms of the hardships, the struggles uh, that they deal with, the discouragement that they, they see. I mean, ministry in a, in a hard place is is in so many ways brutal um, and discouraging. And yet um, today we have seven church planting teams across scotland um we have uh we've launched churches in edinburgh in glasgow in dundee church plant team up in in the nurse we've seen a, a, a bible college started ragged school of theology we're training about 20 indigenous uh converts uh, to become uh preachers and teachers and evangelists in their communities um yeah i mean it's it is not in my mind. Looking at it from from my perspective, it's clear that a movement of God in again an unlikely place in terms of the schemes of Scotland. And so I'm just struck by it. we're not we're not where we want to be, um, but we're certainly um, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for uh, the move of the Spirit and God God's hand on it. That's for sure. Can we just go back to the Ragged School of Theology for a minute? It's no small deal that you are taking Indigenous. Uh, men and women from the schemes, training them theologically and raising them up to be leaders of churches and in churches. Can you tell a little bit more about that, Matthew? Yeah. So, uh, so our, our strategy has always been, we want to see gospel centered churches in the schemes of Scotland, ultimately led by indigenous leaders. We use that term indigenous to essentially mean anybody who comes from the scheme from within that scheme. And so, uh, so we, we recognize that if it's going to be a long-term viable church planting movement in Scotland, there has to be an indigenous leadership uh, that's developed. So initially you're going to bring in cultural outsiders because there aren't Christians in the schemes. So you need people on the outside to come in, to make the move, to be pioneer missionaries, to, to do the hard work, to invest 10 years of their life. But ultimately what we want them to see is to evangelize, disciple, and then train men to become elders, elder qualified men, uh, women to become women's workers and evangelists. And so where are they going to go and get that kind of training? Um, most of them would lack any kind of formal education credential. Many of them just wouldn't be able to, um, just wouldn't make it in, in a Bible college. not because they're not intelligent, but because people in poor communities tend to learn differently. Um, and so the, Kind of the, the, the academy is, the, particularly the theological academy, is geared towards a certain um, learning style and mindset. And so reading, writing, almost um, rote memory um, kind of mindset. Whereas those who w- live in poor communities, this isn't just true in Scotland, this is true all over the world, learn more through seeing and doing. It's the way that Jesus kind of trained his disciples, you know, through what we call the apprenticeship model. Come and see, come and learn, and then come and do. And so the uh, the School of Theology really is, is just designed on that concept. So we're teaching deep truths. So on uh, Wednesday, all of our students will come in, they'll be taught systematic theology. We're not dumbing down anything. 
they're still teaching systematics, hermeneutics, uh, church history. Um, it's, I would say it's equivalent to um, certainly a bachelor's degree in theology in terms of its uh, academics. But then the way we test it, though, is by doing. Um, so all of our interns have also in full, engaged in full-time ministry opportunities. Um, and then we're giving them opportunities to teach, to share, to do lead groups. And we're assessing them through the doing, not through necessarily the exams or the papers that they write. Hmm. This might be a good place to put in a plug for Grimke Seminary, just launched in January of 2020 and founded by a co-worker of yours uh, in Church in Hard Places, Doug Logan. Yeah, very similar. So Grimke, again, so look up Grimke. It's a great um, African-American theologian in Washington, D.C., Philadelphia area as well, um, who did very much had the same heart um, for, for raising up leaders in his context, in his community. Uh, so Grimke is based on the same model intensive to come in for one week intensive but then spend the rest of your time kind of doing full-time engaged in in ministry and you assessed uh, through that ministry setting as much as you have through the voca- the uh, academic setting i was with a friend not too long ago who was relaying to another pastor what we do and that pastor said well uh, tell your friend good luck um, that just doesn't happen you can't plant churches among the urban poor And uh, it just doesn't happen. There's a reason why people don't do it. So maybe 20 schemes is unique. Maybe it's a unicorn. Maybe it works in Scotland, but nobody should be trying to do this anywhere else. Should we be trying to plant wholesale? Should we be trying to plant churches among the urban poor in the U.S.? Um, I mean, yeah, absolutely. We have a a biblical imperative to plant um, healthy gospel churches where there are no healthy gospel churches, whether that's in the suburbs or the city center or in um, uh, poor communities. And so, so that's not a, it's not a um, if question. It's not, should we, we must, it's a how question. How are we going to do it? Um, And it's going to look different. Most um, church planting resources, assessment tools, training, um, uh, conferences, books are assuming a certain model of church planting that does not work in an urban inner city context. That model is three years, uh, raise your funding, build a large core team, um, develop a uh, a core team, have a launch, big public launch, basically a sense of a gathering. After three years, you've got a sense of viability or um, a sustainability as a church. That just doesn't work. I don't, increasingly, I don't think it's going to work anywhere. Um, but it certainly doesn't work in inner city poor context. And so it's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of how. Um, and it is going to look different. Uh, so our model is, and it's not only really a model, I think it's just basic um, missiology. Uh, you, you, you move in, you uh, learn as much as you can about the culture you're trying to reach. Um, you spend a lot of time really doing the hard work of, of establishing yourself in community, of learning the community, of developing friendships in that community. And then as you see evangelistic opportunities, you evangelize through um, developing those friendships, those relationships, and then you disciple. Um, the truth is, the church is not like the church isn't spending money in poor communities. Mm-hmm. Um, the church is spending millions of dollars in the U.S. Mm-hmm. on engaging the poor. Uh, but we've got one commission, and that's go and make disciples. And so the question we ask is, given the millions of dollars that the church is spending on engaging the poor, how many disciples are being made? Let's talk about uh, somebody who's listening and uh, they're listening because they're potentially interested in planning a church in an inner city. 
how can we help them to think through, you, you talked about assessments. Um, it really starts with self-assessment. Somebody may be saying, well, I feel like I'm cut out for this. I would like to do it. I feel called to do it, but I'm not quite sure. What would you say to a potential church planter who is thinking about planting in the inner city? Uh, I would say, um, praise God. Glad you're thinking about it. I think it's a, a noble task. I, I do think um, I want to ask why. So what's your motivation for going to the inner city? Uh, what motivates you to go is what keeps you there when it gets tough. And so if you are motivated to going to the inner city because you've got, you love the poor or you have this kind of desire to help the poor, then uh, three years in, two years in, when there's hostility, when there's difficulty, when there's no fruit from your labor, you won't stay there. Um, if you're motivated by a love for Christ and a desire to see him worshipped, then that's what keeps you there. Um, and so really motivation, motivation is, is core uh, to, to that question. Um, should you go? Why go? Go because I believe that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped and there's a vast area of my city where he's not being worshipped in the manner in which he should be. So I'm going to go and sacrifice um, to go and, and win um, worshippers who, who honor the name of Jesus in this community. Uh, that's that's got to be our primary motivation for going um, because that's what will keep us there because Jesus is always worthy. He's always worthy of the sacrifice mm. and there's always going to be a cost involved in going. I'm looking, we're, we're looking at people with the heart of a missionary Mm -hmm. things are the mindset of a missionary. Um, uh, so there's certain kinds of church planting where um, there's certain skill sets that have got to come to the fore. In, in church planting in inner city, poor communities, it's much more of a missionary mindset, risk-taking, um, be prepared to fail, um, be willing to recount really the cost. Um, uh, but also it's got the personality that doesn't go with the Messiah complex, the things I need to fix everybody, uh, but rather goes with a degree of humility, um, a degree of respect for the people I'm going to reach. Would you get a missionary, a good missionary, that's, that's how they would go um, in, into any kind of context. So I'm not going to go into a context and think I've got to, I've, I've got to make them like me. I'm going to go to a, a missiological context. Say, no, I need to learn um, the culture, the history the rhythms of life in this community and build my ministry model, my ministry strategy around that. Um, and so that's, that is a very different kind of skill set um, that we're going to look for. Personality is important. Um, you got to have a thick skin. Um, uh, you come, uh, yeah, you got to be really willing to uh, take the punches. Uh, your family is really important. Your marriage is really important. Um, so there's a lot of things that we would assess. And so that's why we tend to assess through, again, through apprenticeship. Um, and so we ask with 20 schemes, any church planting applicant to spend a year with us um, as a, we call a church planting apprentice. Um, and then during that time, we're really beginning to assess their skills, their character and their competency. We do the same thing in new church planting. We ask them to come move here, uh, spend a year here, work in the inner city, get a part-time job, bring your family, see how it works for the whole family uh, if you're married and have a family. And we often talk also about um, not looking for church planters, but looking for missionaries who will plant churches for the very same reasons that you're talking about. Let's talk about the financial piece. Um, these churches are not going to be, in most cases, financially self-sustaining. This is why the two, three-year model church planting doesn't really work. Um, 
moment where if any you know planter's worth his salt, uh, he's going to have a church up and running in three years that's financially self-sustaining. That's not going to be true in the inner city. So uh, how does 20 Schemes solve this problem and how should this uh, potential church planter think about the financial aspect? So again, it comes back down to thinking as a missionary. Um, and so a, a, a resource-rich church um, really has no um, qualms about supporting missionaries overseas. Uh, uh, I think of, of many churches who are supporting missionaries long-term in, in India and Brazil and um, Haiti or so forth. They never, they never um, tell that missionary, three years you're on your own. Um, you know, prove yourself. After three years, we expect you to be self-sufficient. And so churches don't have that mindset with other missionaries that we send. And so I would kind of challenge churches to think that same way as they're sending out workers to go to an unreached, unengaged, underserved part of their own city or their own uh, uh, regional state. And so uh, be thinking of yourself as a mission, which means you're always going to need a partnership. You're going to need others who are going to support you. Um, there's two things that make church planting in, in poor communities uh, financially difficult. The obvious one is even if you were to see a church established long term, it probably isn't going to be self-sufficient financially. Um, just the, 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 the economics of life in, in the city um, uh, is you know, in, in middle-class suburban context, 100 people could well support a full-time ministry staff. In a inner-city urban context, 100 people certainly probably would, would still have a hard time supporting a full-time ministry staff. And so, so the metrics are uh, always against you from that end. The second thing is more costly to do ministry in a poor context. Um, you can't do it by yourself, so I need more staff. Um, uh, you know, again, we think of someone's like having, thinking of your church planting team in a poor community, almost like a uh, caseworkers. I got 10, 12 people I'm doing one-to-ones with, uh, 10 or 12 people that I'm doing addiction counseling with, 10 or 12 people that I'm really working through issues of abuse and, um, patterns of behavior in their, in their family. I'm evangelizing people who are in chaos and crisis we can only really do that well with 10 or 12 people. Um, and so I need a bigger team. I need that team to be full-time, mm-hmm. uh, full-time engaged, because if I'm, if I've got a, a job outside of my community, um, then I'm going to be less. And, and most people in, in, again, in urban poor context, they don't tend to live on a nine to five Monday to Friday calendar. Uh, they tend to live more in a spontaneous, um, a sporadic calendar. So I need to uh, be available, be accessible um, to them. And so, so it's, it's co- more costly and there's less money in it. That's why we don't see churches planted. And so it's going to take partners. Other people are going to support them financially for the long term. Um, now, maybe over time there will, that church will plant and there will be a source of uh, income. I don't think there's ever going to be a point that it won't need partners outside of itself. Um, and that's not a bad thing. I think we see that model in the New Testament. Um, economic economic viability doesn't equate a legitimacy as a church. Um, and so we just got to remove that uh, mindset if that for a church to be truly legitimate, it's got to be economically viable. That's just not true. It's not, it's not the New Testament. Um, and so, um, so yeah, it's a partnership model. Um, long-term investment. So our church planters all have uh, uh, churches and individuals that support them. And we tell them to commit to support this person for long-term 
These aren't the only challenges that face uh, inner city church planters. You and I have talked in the past about some of the other challenges, uh, one of them being isolation, another being a sense of insecurity or inferiority, I should say. Um, Talk a little bit about why uh, inner city church planters face those kind of challenges also. Again, so you think of you think of the moment we're in right now, when the the pandemic, COVID nineteen crisis. Um, there are some churches that can probably weather the storm pretty well. Um, they've got the ability to go live stream. Uh, they've got a staff that they could probably keep paying regardless. Um, their people are tech savvy that they can log in. But I was talking, um, well, early hours this morning with a group of church planters in Australia um, who are working in, in kind of welfare class communities. And their struggle is uh, people in isolation are going to often, um, they're, they're concerned about them going back to drugs. Um, when there's a government stimulus check coming their way, it's probably going to be uh, misused when um, their people don't have the same access to um, Wi-Fi and Internet. And so they're thinking, so the questions they're asking are very different. Um, and um, even the ability to meet, to gather um, through platforms like Zoom and Facebook, it's just they don't have the same options available to them. Um, and so, uh, so I just give that as an example. As you know, the reason why church planting in our context is we can often feel isolated or inferior is because so few people are talking to our context. Um, there is making a lot of assumptions about us and about ministry in our communities that just don't land where we're at and so we end up um you know going to the uh, watching the the simulcast or going to the conference or reading the book and it still doesn't hit us um and it doesn't meet where we're at and so that's uh so that can lead to a sense of isolation a sense of um inferiority i can go to my denominational meeting and my network meet network meeting and feel like i'm always the um, black sheep in the family because um, I'm just asking different questions. Um, and so we, that's why it's important that like uh, uh, with uh, new church planting and 20 schemes and church no places is to create a sense of brotherhood where we're resourcing each other, we're encouraging each other, we're in it together. You know, if you're, if you're a church planter and you've been at it for three years and you still haven't launched yet, most, most networks would say you're a failure, you need to quit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what, what does success look like for us? The fact that you haven't quit, mm-hmm. that you're still there, um, that you're three years in and you're still at it, um, still plugging away. Um, it takes a lot um, to, to stick at it and it takes a lot of people coming around alongside you to help you run that race for the long term. Which gets back to qualifications for a church planner. There's a holy grit that needs um, needs to be a part of the personality. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the blessings of planting churches in the inner city. How does God bless this and, and what are blessings that come? Again, I was talking to somebody yesterday. I said that the lows are really low. Suicide, murder, stabbing, shootings, um, domestic abuse, drug overdoses. The lows are really low. The, the highs are really high. Um, when you see people um, who walk away from um, a lifestyle or a culture that's toxic and destructive that then uh, uh, just have a, almost an in, infectious desire to read the word, a ravenous hunger uh, for the truth, uh, you see their, you see almost their, their, vis, their, their physical appearance changes um, as they grow in their faith. Um, in a city ministry, you don't need to create community. Uh, again, in, in suburban middle-class context where church planters are scrambling to try to cultivate a sense of community, 
through community groups and home groups and, and all this. In the city, you don't need to create community. There is community. There's often a strong sense of community. People are loyal. Uh, they're funny. They, um, uh, they, 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 they got your back when, when you finally um, made it in and you've been accepted. Uh, they're on your side. They're with you. Um, it's just a lot of they, no way of describing it uh, is they, they don't take themselves seriously. They don't take you too seriously either. Um, so there's a degree of, of just levity you can have about life. And um, there's, a, there's a, a sense of humor. There's a fun you can have in ministry in, in, in our context that is it's just enjoyable. It's infectious. Um, uh, yeah, I just love it. I mean, there's definitely a, um, there's a, the, the, the lows are low, but the highs are sweet. The celebrations are wonderful. Um, um, it's getting to be a part of that. So it's contagious. It's, it's, it just grabs a hold of you. We've been talking with Matthew Spaler Davison, the co-founder and executive director of 20 Schemes in Scotland, pastor of Redeemer Fellowship Church in Bardstown, and the operations director for Church in Hard Places, an initiative of Acts 29. Matthew, it's been great to talk. I hope we get to talk again soon. Thank you for your thoughts. Thank you for encouraging us. Great noise. Loved it.